Okay. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Room Madness podcast. This is the place for everyone who is crazy about rheumatology to connect, collaborate, compete, and learn together. My name is David Leverance, and I am thrilled to continue our series reviewing the scouting reports for the 2022 Room Madness tournament. And I'm even more thrilled that we're going to do that tonight with um, the authors of the scouting reports themselves from four different institutions. So uh, we're going to have them introduce themselves really briefly. First, I'm going to have our region leader introduce himself. This is a a member of our leadership team who is actually our leader of this region. Um, So Ben, would you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you, Dr. Levins. My name is Ben Kellogg. I'm a second year internal medicine resident at Duke, and I did not write any of the scattering reports. I just read them. I love rheumatology. I love animals. Part of why I'm really excited to be here and to be the region leader. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Perfect. And if any, we know in podcast land, you can't see Zoom backgrounds, but Ben has the most amazing animal Zoom background on right now. So it's very themed with our our theme for tonight. All right. The contingent from UT Southwestern, uh, y'all introduce yourselves for us. I'm Melissa Defoe. I am a second year rheumatology fellow at UT Southwestern. I'm Nagendra Pokal. I'm a first year rheumatology fellow. Perfect. All right. Evan from VCU. Yep. I'm Evan Dombrowski, a first year rheumatology fellow at VCU in Richmond, Virginia. And um, our report was dinosaur spondylarthropathy. Nice. Perfect. All right. Jesse. Hey, everyone. I'm Jesse Reisner from uh, Ohio State. And my article was spontaneous dog osteoarthritis. Perfect. All right. And Keem. Uh, Hey, everybody. My name is Keem Vu. I am a first year fellow uh, representing Wake Forest Baptist in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Awesome. This is an amazing crew. And as we talked about the last episode, this has been an absolute dream of our leadership team to have the authors of the scouting reports on to teach our audience about their teams. Um, Again, we're not going to have them go through the entire scouting reports. We're just going to briefly introduce the topics so you all can go read the scouting reports yourselves. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, who we think is going to win. But again, as a reminder, uh, we actually have no influence on the Blue Ribbon panel's decisions. And so uh, we were, are just going to talk about it for fun. And then the Blue Ribbon panel will probably not even listen to this podcast at all and make their own decisions. So and that means everyone out there has to make up their own minds as well. Um, as you have probably received in your inbox um, for um, you, these scouting reports are being sent out by the E! News Room uh, newsletter. And we're very thankful for their collaboration. Um, and again, we're also really thankful for the, all the collaborators, um, including the 70 collaborators who wrote the scouting reports this year, um, including 43 fellows. So the teams in the Animal House region include axolotl limbs, dinosaur spondyloarthropathy, Dalmatian, urate, and dog osteoarthritis. So to kick us, out, kick us off, Keem, would you tell us a little bit about axolotl limbs? What's this team all about? So thank you, Dr. Leverins. So axolotls, first of all, are um, amphibians that are native to Mexico. Um, if you just Google axolotls, you'll probably have seen it, have definitely seen it somewhere. So basically, uh, these animals are um, 
are unique in that they have the ability to regenerate their limbs if you were to sort of like just snip it off. Um, they're able to regenerate these limbs without forming a scar. And one of the processes that is essential for this process to occur is mediated through microRNA. And so there was this fascinating study uh, published at Duke in 2019 that examined uh, cartilage of humans in the ankles, knees, and hips. And they found that this same uh, microRNA process was also uh, found in these uh, cartilage. And it was found to be most active in the ankle cartilage and less active in the knees and hip cartilage. And they also, in the same study, they determined the age of the cartilage and the ankle joints versus the hip and knee joints and found that the molecular age of these cartilage was youngest in the ankles and older in the hips and knees. And they speculate as to whether this same microRNA process is supposed to be sort of protective in uh, preventing uh, osteoarthritis. So this is a potential target if gene therapy for osteoarthritis were to become a reality in the future, so. Great, thanks, Kim. That's a really interesting study. Basically, it's about unlocking our inner salamander. So it'd be interesting to see what people think about that. It's a great summary too. Um, Evan, can you talk to us about um, dinosaur spondyloarthropathy? I don't know if it's kind of a misnomer. I, you may say this because, you know, it's actually also about more than just dinosaurs. When you read your scouting report, thank you for um, that excellent review. But dinosaur spondyloarthropathy is matched up in the first round against um, these adorable axolotls. So tell us about your team. Right. That's right. But who, who doesn't love a good dinosaur? I mean, these, these majestic creatures, they roam the earth. In simpler times, they didn't have any of our confusing rheumatologic disorders, or at least that's what we thought. But what if I told you a surprising number of dinos, uh, their fossils revealed evidence of spondylarthritis? That's right. It's likely that your favorite dino was trying to survive the harsh Jurassic with syndesmophytes or sacroiliac joint erosions. Uh, the Camarasaurus, actually, uh, a long-necked herbivore, is the one that holds the record for the oldest detected case of spondylarthropathy. So I'm sorry to all the Camarasauruses. Um, it's a few more years till methotrexate and TNF inhibitors come out. Best they can do for now is chew on a variety of plants, hoping for some of those natural anti-inflammatories. Uh, but thankfully, osteoarthritis was only very rarely observed in the dinosaur fossil record, and rheumatoid arthritis was not detected at all. Uh, modern doctors actually hate this one simple trick to prevent these diseases, but unfortunately, <laughs> the secret to the rheumatoid and osteoarthritis-free life will remain buried for now. Uh, but a question remains, why did dinos get spondylarthritis and not some of the other most common arthritides? Um, some ponder an evolutionary benefit, others point to modern environmental exposures and lifestyles. Um, many others believe that these were simply the sequela of uh, reactive arthritis. Uh, either way, further research uh, to this might lead to modern preventative measures and targeted therapeutics for spondylarthropathies. That's amazing. I was trying really hard not to laugh during that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a really fascinating topic. And I don't know, adorable uh, Mexican salamanders, these axolotls versus dinosaurs is going to be a, an incredible battle. And I'm really looking forward to someone putting on a dinosaur suit and going on Twitter and repping out the dinosaur spondylarthropathy 
team. Um, and I mean, if there's an axolotl suit, Kim, you know, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. We're going to see who, who everyone here in this podcast thinks is going to win in that matchup. But first, uh, we're going to move on to uh, the UT Southwestern contingent. Um, and you all, can you all ta- tell us about Dalmatians and how they handle your rate? Yeah. So there are a couple of quick points that we wanted to cover uh, before we got into the paper. The first is that unlike other mammals, humans and great apes, we lack uricase, which allows for a conversion of uric acid into allantoin. As you probably know, uric acid is not as soluble as allantoin. And so higher serum urate levels can actually lead to uh, crystal precipitation and gout. The second point is that uric acid is primarily renally excreted. And so although uric acid is easily filtered into the kidney, the majority of that filtered uric acid is reabsorbed, leaving only a small portion of the filtered urate to be excreted into the urine. Dalmatians have a couple of interesting defects in uric acid metabolism. Uh, The first is a defect in renal tubular reabsorption of filtered urate, leading to a significant increase in urinary uric acid excretion. The second defect is a hepatic conversion of uric acid to allantoin. Dalmatians cannot transport uric acid into the hepatocytes, which contain uricase, for conversion to allantoin. So although Dalmatians have uricase, uh, they're unable to make use of it. Uh, The two major defects roughly offset each other and lead to Dalmatians having a serum uric acid level that's roughly similar to other dogs. And so in some studies that Cruella DeVille would find fun, I guess, the paper details some prior studies of reciprocal renal and hepatic transplants between Dalmatians and mongrel dogs. And those suggest that the primary driver of this altered metabolism is in the liver rather than in the kidney. They did further studies involving, or they looked at further studies involving engraftment of mongrel hepatocytes into Dalmatians. And that implicates a promoter of transport that Dalmatians lack, as opposed to an inhibitor that, that the Dalmatians have. So based on those studies, the, the authors hypothesized that there's a presence of a yet-to-be-identified circulating hepatic hormone that serves as a promoter of transport across renal and hepatic cell membranes. Fascinating. I think this team is really interesting. And I mean, what a great opportunity to review your urate metabolism and to try to figure out how it works in a Dalmatian with all these wonky different changes. And I think it's kind of fascinating that this is a mystery that seems to be yet to be completely solved. Um, And it's kind of a challenge. Anybody out there that wants to figure this one out, go for it. Um, All right. Fantastic review. Okay. Last, but definitely not least, Jesse from Ohio State, uh, take us home with uh, dog osteoarthritis. So I reviewed the article of dog osteoarthritis or spontaneous dog osteoarthritis, a one medicine approach uh, done in Nature Reviews in 2019. And the objective of the article was to examine dog OA as a disease model for human OA. Um, dogs and humans share similar uh, similarities in anatomy, pathogenesis of OA, and similar genetic mutations that have been identified as culprits in the development of osteoarthritis. Um, the authors emphasize this one medicine approach as a solution to the challenges in treating osteoarthritis. Um, And it's basically this collaboration among veterinarians and physicians 
with a goal to better understand both dog and human osteoarthritis through collaborative research, which may lead to advancements in the treatment of OA in both species. Uh, for example, dog osteoarthritis trials feature cutting edge technology like uh, telemetric devices to measure dog locomotion, the use of force plates uh, to measure function, uh, and quantitative sensory testing, which is uh, the ability to measure pain in, in dogs. Um, so these technologies measure changes in dogs' functional status in responses to different therapies. And finally, stem cell studies have shown that the injection of uh, stem cells into dog hip joints improved functional status and led to the regeneration of cartilage. Um, so you can see how these studies may be applied to uh, human osteoarthritis research. So it's an exciting area. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, it's, you know, this is basically the dog uh, <laughs> matchup <laughs> Dalmatians with, uh, with strange urate metabolism and this fascinating approach to dog to osteoarthritis research involving dogs. And I love the numerous points that was made in these, these articles about how really, because these dogs live with us and they're, they kind of live the same lives and we can learn a lot from them. And also their joints appear to be pretty similar, at least from an osteoarthritis standpoint. So thanks for that excellent review. Um, it's, this is going to be an amazing region and I am so excited that you all are here to give us your thoughts on who you think is going to come out on top. And so I, I'm, I'm actually going to start with Ben because Ben, as the region leader, you have read through all of these studies, you read through these reports and I, I, I don't know, is your mind made up? Where, where's your head at with this region? What do you think is going to happen? So I'd say from the outset, I do think that all of the articles were, were thought provoking. Um, they made me think a lot about some pathways and things that I hadn't thought about in a while. So they were great. But I think that's probably enough diplomacy. I do, I do have a favorite. Um, I don't. The idea of unlocking the inner axolotl in all of us, I just think is incredible. Um, I thought the article brought up a lot of interesting points about the way that our bodies work, the way that axolotls work, and made me ask a lot of questions about why things couldn't work the way they work in axolotls. Not to mention that it gets at, you know, a what would be a paradigm shift, I think, in osteoarthritis management of disease modifying rather than symptomatic treatment. Um, so I think from the outset, that's probably my favorite, not that there's not things that I don't love about each article, but that's my early favorite. Okay. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's a really enticing team. Now I'm going to ask, uh, uh, Nagendra and Melissa, you all reviewed, uh, one of the dog papers. So I'm curious what you think about the matchup, um, as what you've heard so far of dinosaur spondyloarthropathy and axolotls where, what do you think? And, you know, Evan and Kim, this has nothing to do with your scouting reports. They're both amazing. I mean, let's just, all right. We're not, we're not debating the quality of your scouting reports here because they're fabulous. 
Um, but these teams, uh, what, what do you think? I mean, and, and who do you think is going to win and what are you basing your decision on? Is it the number of puns that you can make with the, with the team? I mean, what's the basis here? You know, I think, I think it's pretty cool to talk about dinosaurs. I think it's always fun to talk about dinosaurs, but the idea of talking about regenerating limbs, I, I think that's, that's just a superpower that anyone would always want to have. And so it's a very interesting study. I, I think that one would win that first matchup. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I am going to put a little plug in for the dinosaurs. You know, I think it's fascinating, you know, as Evan pointed out, it is fascinating to think about how the dinosaur, the, the spondyloarthropathy as a disease seems to be unique in this way that is, it, it, it's so old. And, um, you know, the fact that rheumatoid arthritis really seems to be limited to humans. And it also speaks a little bit from a, even a practical, you know, 140 million years later um, to us humans now treating this disease in ourselves, you know, thinking about, well, that tells us that this disease is somehow very different pathogenically than rheumatoid arthritis. And yet, isn't it fascinating absolutely fascinating that the, that diseases that are separated in time by a hundred million years are, can be treated by the same medicine. Um, I think that's really interesting. So I don't know. It's, uh, it's worth considering Jesse. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, I agree with Ben on this one. Um, I was fascinated by the axolotl, uh, review, um, I thought it was probably the most applicable of all the reviews and probably the most promising in terms of potential uh, therapies for OA and shifting that focus from symptomatic management to thinking about regenerative medicine, um, I think was a good emphasis. And I do like the concept of this um, axolotl, uh, as uh, Ben said, this tiny little creature, I had to Google the axolotl, but imagine if they held the, the secret to one of the greatest challenges in osteoarthritis treatment, that would be just a win for everybody. It'd be amazing. That's true. Thanks. All right. Well, okay. So there seems to be a favorite here in that matchup, but you know, I'm just, I'm, I, I think there's going to be someone you know, maybe on the panel who's just as a kid loved dinosaurs as a grown up, still loves dinosaurs. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta, everybody's gotta keep their minds open, you know? Uh, all right. So Evan, uh, tell me, so you are, are, um, hearing all this. So, you know, I, I still, I, I want to know what you think about the dinosaurs. Do you think you're going to beat the axolotls, but then tell me about your view on the dog teams, dog osteoarthritis and Dalmatian urate. Um, what do you think? What are you learning from those teams? Well, first of all, um, dinos are just happy to be here. Look, this is a team that in the preseason was not even thought to be a contender in the tournament. And to make it through the bubble, uh, to get here is just an amazing accomplishment. So who, who doesn't love a good Tyrannosaurus Cinderella story? <laughs> It'll be a miracle if this team pulls together a win against these heavily favored axolotl regenerators. Um, but given the, you know, given the dinos questionable human clinical relevance, astonishingly poor flexibility, the fact that they're all dead. I mean, 
even if we do break the axolotl's ankles with a with a fire crossover, I mean, it sounds like they can just regenerate them. So, <laughs> you know, if this team does sneak by the axolotls for for whatever reason, uh, look for this team to get hot, warm, and tender. Um, <laughs> You know, as for the dog matchup, you know, it's a really balanced matchup. I like what I'm seeing there out of both teams, a lot of fight. Um, but I do think the uh, the Dalmatian urate pathway that is still yet to be figured out is a real favorite. All right. This is great. This is now officially my favorite podcast we've ever done. <laughs> I just love that we are talking about this in a very serious way. <laughs> um, all right. And Keem, bring us home. What do you think about these matchups? Well, I can definitely feel all the pressure. There seems to be a couple of votes for axolotls. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. You know, I think I think the dog region is a huge. I think it's going to be a big match, a big toss up because um, osteoarthritis and gout are um, both diseases with huge patient populations. Um, and also huge needs. Um, and I think any way we can scratch or claw, sorry, <laughs> our, uh, our way towards better understanding of disease pathogenesis or, um, uh, or treatments is, is huge. And I, you know, I love my fellows know, I love talking about gout. I love um, treating it. I love talking about it. I think there's so much that we can do. But the flip side is dog osteoarthritis is it opens up this entire field of, of research, right? It brings awareness to this entire field of research uh, where we really have no disease modifying therapies. So I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Um, but I, I really appreciate everyone on this podcast. Uh, this has been a really fun discussion. I think our readers are, or our participants are going to have a hard time choosing between those teams because of the strength of your scouting reports. I think they're fantastic. Um, I'm just curious, Ben, any, any last thoughts about um, these matchups or this region? I agree. I think concerning the, the dog matchup, um, that one, I'm, I'm pretty interested to see who comes out on top. They seem really close to me. I mean, I, there's the promise of uretin and this, alternative ways or new found way to treat gout. But I also think that there's something kind of, kind of poetic about using the dog spontaneous osteoarthritis model that really, really captured me. Um, so I think it's going to be close. I think if, if I had to choose between those two, I'd probably go with the osteoarthritis. I think it's, it's just a really interesting that in a way that I hadn't thought about as a different way to approach the issue with this one medicine approach. Um, so I don't know, it's going to be close. Yeah. Agreed. I totally agree. Well, it's an exciting, it's a really exciting, um, region. This is going to be a fantastic region. You know, as we've said before, this is all inspired by Neff madness and everything they've done. They've done animal house before, and, um, you know, Matt Sparks got a hagfish tattoo. So um, I don't know, you know, we'll just have to see um, if anybody is inspired to get a ax- axolotl tattoo. Melissa, <laughs> <say no. laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, maybe maybe just the leadership team, Ben. We'll we'll get we'll get to this. <laughs> um, you know, just real quick um, before we go, you know, um, the as we've said before on this um, on this uh, podcast series, we are also trying to. Um, with every podcast we do, we're trying to highlight some disparities um, in in rheumatology um, as it applies to our topics. And I don't, you know, I don't think we can really um, talk about disparities in the management of uh, dinosaur diseases because that's that ship has sailed. Um, but you know, I think um, it is important to highlight a couple things here in terms of disparities. Um, and this is just going to be really brief. You know, last. So two episodes ago, we talked about disparities in rheumatology training and how to how we can increase the diversity of our workforce. And the last episode, we talked about increasing diversity in uh, clinical trials and uh, uh, the needs there, especially in rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. And I just want to highlight um, that part of the reason that gout and osteoarthritis in particular are highlighted in this tournament is that they have such a huge research need. And there's also um, uh, quite a huge amount of disparities in um, the management of osteoarthritis. We're gonna, in the show notes, link to a couple articles that review um, the real disparities in the number of patients um, that identify as black and Hispanic that are offered total joint replacement compared to white patients and disparities in where patients receive their joint replacements and outcomes. Um, And that really is just a reflection of ongoing disparities in all of um, osteoarthritis care. And likewise in, in gout, um, it's well-documented, even in a VA population where the healthcare system is the same, that um, Black patients are often um, not offered uh, or, or prescribed allopurinol or urate-lowering therapy as often as white patients are, even though it's been well-documented that um, uh, they have uh, just the same amount or more gout, um, that uh, uh, patients that identify as Black have just a, uh, have even a higher prevalence of gout um, than white patients. And so there's there, there's uh, so many um, disparities that continue to exist in these fields, um, but there's there's hope in that there's a lot of increasing research and awareness of these disparities. And um, yes, this tournament is a silly competition between um, uh, you know these animals and what they can teach us, but they're they're also we're also just trying to highlight disease pathogenesis, pathophysiology, and um, treatment options and. We also, in including disparities in the conversation, want to make it uh, continually normal to talk about disparities as we talk about diseases and learn about it. So uh, we just want to highlight that because it's something that we can all um, work to address. So that is all I had for this episode. Um, uh, team, this is, I, I really mean it. This is, I, I have had so much fun on this podcast. Um, thank you all for your time in creating these scouting reports. I think the entire rheumatology, rheumatology community um, is going to learn from them and this podcast as well. Um, and so thank you all for joining us. And uh, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. All right. We did it. Yay. Can I take, can I take a, Zoom, a Zoomie, a selfie of this group?